Michael Wirtz is the Director of Alumni Relations at the Master's Seminary, one of a number of positions he's had at uh, the Master's Seminary. So although Sam and I went to uh, Southern in Louisville, we have a tremendous amount of respect and appreciation for uh, the Master's uh, College and Seminary out in uh, the Los Angeles area. And um, uh, Michael grew up in South Dakota and went out to school there and stayed there. Um, but a number of you know him and knew him when he was uh, still in the Aberdeen area. And uh, Michael is um, passionate about the gospel and he loves the Bible. So uh, we're just so thankful to know him and be connected with him and uh, for him to be here and uh, preach this morning. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 130, uh, that is the text we're going to be looking at this morning. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to be back in the beautiful snowy tundra of South Dakota. Yeah, it's actually really cold right now in California, too, so I don't think I'm missing out anything at all. And I get all the pleasure of being here with you and obviously being with family, but being with very dear friends. And I, I want to particularly thank Pastor Sam and Scott and, and Dave for allowing me to be here this morning with you and opening up God's Word uh, for us this morning. I'm really excited. Um, it's a particular psalm that that has spoken to me uh, quite a bit. Maybe it was the trials of seminary that that made it open up to me. I'm not sure, but it was a it's a very uh, dear psalm indeed. Um, so just keep your finger there, and we'll we'll go through it. And the beauty about the beauty about studying the psalms is that you kind of get a you get a particular truth. Uh, uh, a particular truth kind of simplified, or maybe not simplified, but crystallized for us to kind of understand and get. So that, and it's also helpful for the preacher because he doesn't go all over the place. So it kind of like creates parentheses for us to really focus in. And, and this particular psalm leaves us a lot to, a lot to explore. Now, I do also have to say that the title, um, uh, let me relieve some of your fears right away. It says it's for a song. For the hopeful believer, I'm not going to be singing, so trust me, if I tried, you would thank me. Um, I'm not particularly gifted in that area, and so I will not do you that kind of harm. I might do it at the end so that we'll make a really quick exit, and that'd be a really good strategy. Uh, but I won't be singing. We'll be talking about the song, not me singing a song. So that's good. You don't have to worry. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a... Uh, Psalm 130, Psalm 130, and the song for a hopeful believer. Um, what you don't, what we don't realize a lot is, or we don't think about a lot, but, but once we start thinking about it is 
life as we know it and life as we as we understand it we we have our normal line of where we live but then things happen to us things happen to us that sometimes they get us off our game they might surprise us uh they might they might capture us off guard where where even a news headline where somebody where uh, somebody as great as pastor billy graham has been with us for almost 100 years his gravestone will say from uh I think 1918 to 2018. So he's not quite 100 years old, but he's been around for all our lives, right? He's been a consistent figure and he's been faithful in preaching the gospel. And now, now he's, he's gone. Um, and there's things that happen in our life too that always surprise us, like the tragedies that, that happen to us that, that we're never ready for. We know that we live in a world that is fallen, but we're never ready for it. Uh, like the, you start with the school shootings in Florida and, and all the discussions that happen there or if you're caught in London or in the Middle East and the, the danger that surrounds you or even, even the, just the danger of everyday life of driving down the road and you hit an ice patch and you don't expect that, but it surprises you. And those surprises can actually get you down because a lot of times what we don't realize is that even though we know, even though we know better, we actually put our hope in our circumstance that life is going to be better tomorrow, better tomorrow, and better tomorrow. It's because we have that built into us to expect. But sometimes tomorrow doesn't get any better. Actually, tomorrow becomes darker and darker for us. And sometimes you, you might even be challenged. You'd understand the truth. You love the truth. You know it's an anchor for your soul. You know the truth is engraved in your heart. You've memorized it. But yet somehow, the light doesn't shine through. The light doesn't shine through. Psalm 130 comes along those of us who've been there and those of us who can help others pull them along. Comes along and really gives us that rope, gives us that lifeline of hope, that promise that light at the end of the tunnel that we can actually truly rest our eyes upon and know that it's there, even though when we don't see it. Because Psalm 130 grabs our attention away from where we're focusing at and focuses it back on God himself. Not in our circumstances, because we know they change. They can change just like that. Not in, our, not in how we feel about something, because we know that can change as well. This, this psalm gives us the characteristics then of this hopeful believer who, who learns to jump out of the pit because of his hope and his love in Yahweh and God himself. And this song is, yes, it was written for the, for the Old Testament believer, but it is a particular beautiful example of what we can sing for also in the New Testament. Because we worship not only just the same God, which is absolutely true, but our eyes have been, our eyes of faith have clarified in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is where this psalm focuses in and it hits that stream, that, that beautiful thread of redemption that is throughout all of scripture. It really hits it in. And so we, we can be pulled along as well. And so what we'll see is we'll see a cry for forgiveness at the beginning of the psalm, and then we'll see him transition into this longing for communion in the middle of the psalm. And then at the end, 
he'll, he'll actually flip the tables and he'll start inviting others to have hope in Yahweh as well. It's a pretty exciting exchange that happens there. Pretty exciting exchange. Now, as we dive in, this particular psalm was, was created by design as a song of ascent. So it was a song that was used by the Israelites to, to help them transition into this life or this time of worship in the temple. Uh, it was, and, and if you've been, ever been to Jerusalem, for those of you, you can actually imagine it again. It's, Jerusalem is set on a hill. And so they would have uh, ascended up to Jerusalem to where the temple was. And if you can picture this, you were taking each step. It would have taken them closer to the temple, to the presence of Yahweh. Well, it represented the presence of Yahweh there. And when they were finally there, their hope would have been restored. Because they had just escaped their whole life. Uh, their whole life behind them because times in Israel were not that pretty. They were actually quite poor. They were, uh, if you've been there, not every single part of Israel was overflowing with milk and honey. If people were caught in the areas that there was no milk or no honey. And, uh, and sometimes just like here, times are also hard, just like for everyone else. Their human experience is very similar to us. And their experience could also affect their worship of God. They could also be challenged to have their hope cast aside and not on Yahweh himself. Very similar to us as well. And so here you have, uh, as, the, as the songwriter is focusing in, he starts at the bottom of the pit. He's at the bottom of the hill. And here he says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And, and the picture there is that he is he doesn't see. He looks up and he, and the, the hole is deeper than Joseph's well that he was caught in because there is a cover over it and it's dark and he can touch the darkness. He can grab the darkness. Out of, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And it's almost as if he has to remind himself that he can actually do that because that's the only hope he has. But he does. He cries out for it. It's as if this water is covering him and he's, he only has a little bit of time to breathe because you know how when you're underwater and you want to, you got to catch your breath. It's right before that where he's at and he feels completely helpless and completely in despair. And he really sees no way out of the situation. No escape. No escape in that room. And he keeps going down, farther and downer, and he sees his impending death. That's really the only thing that is really clear for him. But he has one more hope. He has the lifeline. He, he in this desperation, he actually cries out for it. And that's how, that's where the psalmist, that's what the psalmist wants us to understand. He wants us to understand the utter desperation of what this believer experienced. And you might think, well, where was his faith? Shouldn't his faith have helped him not get to this point? Well, not necessarily, because you can have all the, all the truths in your heart, in your uh, head cemented, and you know they're there, but they don't reach your heart. And you might even be telling your heart, oh soul, bless the Lord. You might, like you'd follow the psalmist in Psalm 103 and do the very exact same thing, but your heart's not listening for some reason. And sometimes the darkness will not go away. And this is the situation here. 
the darkness would not go away. But even though it doesn't seem like it's the right thing to do, he realizes it's the only thing to do, and he cries out to Yahweh. He cries out to Yahweh. And actually, there's, you sense the desperation even further in Psalm 130, verse 2, where he, he even beckons God to hear his voice. He's not, at this point, he knows God will hear it, but he feels like he needs to ask him and plead him to actually listen. Because somehow God seems, in his mind's eye, in his heart's eye, seems so far away. Seems so far away. Oh Lord, hear my voice. And let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. So here he feels the distance, like God is utterly distant from him. He is far away. Now we know in James it says that God stays where he's at. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once. He's with us all the time. But it's, he's speaking of the communal aspect of this enjoyment aspect that he wants with, with fellowship with God, with his God. He was, he wanted to be, have that close connection with who God is, that enjoyment, that sweet, sweet communion, that connection was broken. And he longs for this and it's dark. And he asks for this hearing of his voice he asked for this for these ears of this almighty god to be inclined and to be attentive it's quite brazen and there's an example here of where we can actually take what this psalmist is doing and apply that to our own times of worship and our own times of of um of devotion where where when we see when we when we seem to think that God is, we forget that God is ever present, that we live quorum Deo, we always live before the face of God when we forget that. And we, we don't keep that focused in our mind. It's times like that where we, we ought to take the opportunity to really beckon God to welcome us back into his presence and pull us back in because something might actually be, might actually be stealing our attention something in this world or something on a screen or or even just life happening and circumstances happening. So don't forget in those times when your mind's telling you or even your heart's telling you, oh, God's not present. He seems so far away. Cry out to Him. That's an, here is a, is a particular example for us to cry out to Him. Because God has his ears inclined. We know that, but we can ask him and ask him to incline our ears. We can cry out to our Lord. Tears aren't strangers to him. He understands them. In fact, because we live on this side of the cross, we have a, a, a faithful high priest who is merciful, who understands our suffering. He understands what he's going, going through because he's been the depth, he's been in the depths of it. And he's actually cried those types of prayers. It's very accurate to say. He's sweat those types of, and that's this type of anguish before, where he sensed this misery. He is crying out to Yahweh and it's as if it's his last resort and he is longing to be heard. He, he knows the, the light at the end of the tunnel is not there, but he is crying out to Yahweh so that he switches on the light. But he's crying for mercy. He's crying for mercy. 
Now, the interesting thing about mercy is that he's crying for something that he knows he doesn't deserve. That's the, that's the, the, the uniqueness about mercy versus grace. Um, it's, it's, it's when you, when you get pulled over by police, and that happens, and when you get pulled over by police and they decide, and you are speeding, uh, they decide to not give you the ticket that you deserve because you actually broke the law. You actually broke the law. That may or may not have happened to me, and I was very thankful. Uh, but you broke the law, and he decided to not punish you in the way that you deserve to be punished. That's mercy. They've, uh, the police officer was merciful, has been merciful to you. And here the psalmist is crying out for this type of mercy. So he realizes that we don't deserve the attention of God. We don't deserve it. But here's, here's the thing that's beautiful, is that God in his goodness has chosen to be merciful. He's chosen to highlight that for us. So we're, we're able to beckon God to turn to us, not because of some, some value within us, per se, but it's only because of who he is. It's based upon his particular character of him wanting to highlight this mercy. Him wanting to highlight this mercy. And verse 3 takes us a little bit, a little bit further and clarifies maybe somewhere some of the darkness was coming, coming from, from this psalmist. He says, if you, O Lord, if you, Yahweh, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And at this point here, you can kind of see that the psalmist, as he is approaching, remember, he's going up to the Temple Mount, and as he's getting closer to the presence of Yahweh, for there, it was, it was very, it was a geolocation. For us, the Holy Temple is with, we are the Holy Temple. And so we're always in the presence of God. We're always in that, on that holy ground. So we're always called to be sanctified in that sense. Uh, but here we're reminded that if, Lord, you were to mark the iniquities, oh, Lord, who could stand? That's the reason why he needs the mercy that he's asking for. Now, the temptation is that, and sometimes we counsel people this way, and we have to be really careful because we think that if a person is going through a trial, that automatically it's because of sin. Now, that can be a very good reason for why the Lord has taken him through it. Um, like if, if a brother is in sin, and I was just recently talking to, to a brother who's, who knows someone, and, and he wanted to understand like how to, how to help this, this guy, that things weren't going right in his life. And it seemed like it's because the hand of the Lord was upon him. But we want to be super careful to not make that judgment call because we're not the Holy Spirit. We have to be careful of that. We're not the Holy Spirit, so we don't know if we can point out that the darkness is there is particularly because of sin. We can't particularly say that, but what we can do is that God is always at work, and he's always reshaping us into the image of Christ. So when we counsel people, when we help people understand where they're at, we want to make sure that they understand that, that it's, it's not necessarily just because of their sin. There's a difference. We got to be careful to not make sure that it's a one for one, that it's God always punishing them, that he is, he's punitive in that. Because a lot of times when people are caught in the midst of this darkness, they might need to be reminded that they are sons and daughters of this holy God, first and foremost, so that they have hope. They have a lifeline. They have a loving father that is waiting there for them to return. We can't forget that picture. He, yes, he, uh, if we were caught in the midst of our marked iniquities, we could not stand before God. That is absolutely true. But for the believer, 
what he is clinging to is, is Christ in that moment. He's clinging to Christ in that moment and he's recognizing, yes, of course we can say that with, with uh, whoever is sinful and whoever, no matter, if we, if we look out here, every single one of you will be able to pinpoint the sin that you've done before God. Maybe even coming to church this morning or yesterday. But the point is not to show here that it's the punishment of God that this person is caught in this darkness. It's just that in reality, life is dark sometimes. And God is there as someone who is this beacon of hope, whether it is sin or just a trial that you're going through. It's broader than just one plus one. Sin equals punishment. God is much more careful in that. Here the psalmist focuses in on that because it seems like for him, he has this concern. There's, there's something that has caught his attention of how he has indeed sinned before the Lord. And so it's a very personal time before him and God. He's actually, he actually has, he remembers in verse 4, in verse 4 here, let me get there. Uh, let me see. Verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So there he is actually looking on the other side of what, of where he wants to come to. Like he wants to focus in on who this God is. He wants to focus in on who this God is as this God of forgiveness. Now it seems like verse 3 says that if you should mark iniquity and he sees his sin before him, it's not probably not a particular type of sin, but he is confessing it and he's careful to make sure that that is part of his understanding. But he quickly jumps to verse 4 where he talks about the forgiveness because he understands even before it was written, like the text that was written for us in 1 John 1, 9, whenever we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful. And he is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And uh, a good thing to think about when you encounter this verse is how intentional, personally speaking, are you in thinking about your sin before the Lord and actually confessing it and understanding what the sin is because what, what confession is, is actually agreeing with God that it, it was actually wrong for you to do that. And you're, in that moment, you're agreeing with God that you sinned. And it's, and it's usually focused on a particular sin. Do you take that time to do that? And that's very personal between you and God. Because it could be, that's, that could be the reason why there's darkness, but it's not always the reason why there's darkness. It could be. And so that, lodge that in your mind as a, as a, as a process, if you will, to go through, to check, to check your heart before the Lord as those trials are going through. But be very careful when you're helping somebody else to not jump to that conclusion themselves and try to play the Holy Spirit. Be very careful there. But in your own life, in your own walk, be ready to go there and examine yourself. Be ready to go there and examine yourself. Cry out for the give, for the forgiveness. Confess the sin, and God grants it. He gives it, and He grants it. And as as the 
as the psalmist moves on to the next portion. So we've, we've seen this cry of forgiveness, and it's in the darkness. Now he, he longs for this communion that comes with it. He longs for this communion that comes with it. In verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. He, Lord, he keeps, he keeps instructing himself on what he's focusing in on. I wait for him. And in his word there, it's his promises. It's what, it what, it's what God has spoken, where, where the truths that have, have been anchors for his soul. He has, he is actively choosing to focus in on that. And this is what we're going to be focusing on. Very similar to the scripture reading that we had this morning in, in Jeremiah, where it was reminding the Israelites. And remember, this was a really dark time for Israel while we're receiving this promise. And it was supposed to be this beacon of hope that God has not abandoned them yet. God has not abandoned him yet. And it's, and it's based upon his word that it, that it, that they will be able to survive and thrive. And here the psalmist is really focusing in on that waiting and hoping. Here's, here's the, here's the thing that he understands. Confession and forgiveness are not the magic bullet that just make things and life better. They don't. The darkness may not lift right away. Here for the psalmist, he understands like he is in the middle of the night and he's waiting. He's like the watchman waiting for the first beam of light. He, he knows it's going to break, but it's still 4 a.m. And he's still got two hours of really cold, uh, cold time before. So he knows it's coming. He knows it's coming, but it's not going to be immediate. Daybreak's not going to come right away. Like I remember when I was, um, I was still on, I grew up here in the area at a colony actually about 45 minutes away. And one of the things I hated that time, I had to work all night. Um, I had the night shift because I was 16 at the time and that's the young guys. They always get, they always get the night shift and it was the worst. It was the worst job you could imagine. It was knife, knifing hog manure into the ground. So it smelled really bad. It, you had to drive really slow and it was just horrible. And the night seemed like it was forever. But I remember at like 4 to 4.30, it got super dark. Like it was probably my mind's eye because it probably wasn't darker uh, than before, but it was just really dark. And then it seemed like that hour went on forever. But when daybreak hit, life just sped up. And my shift was over. So for three hours, I had the last three hours of my shift because the light was up where it felt like an hour and the other times felt like 12 hours. The point is this, is that, is that there's this expectation of a brighter future, but it doesn't come right away. The sun doesn't always, the sun is very predictable for us here today, but in the process of of forgiveness of sin in the process of living before the face of God in the process of, of processing through darkness. The reality is the darkness may not lift right away, but that is not a reflection upon God himself. That is not a means for us to accuse God that he is not relieving us of our pain. It's, it's an opportunity for us to keep on waiting and keep on hoping for the certainty of the Lord's moving 
for the certainty of the Lord's moving. And in verse 6, he actually repeats that idea more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning, because he wants to get us to get that idea where we're, we're expecting God to move as we pray. But we don't necessarily see the movement. We're expectant of it. So we, we keep hoping and we keep expecting. And then from there, he takes us to the, to the 180 as the Lord does begin to move. Oh, Israel. He, he starts talking to the people around him. All of a sudden, he's not, he's not in the room by himself anymore. He's not, even though he, he might have, I forgot to mention actually, like the whole atism of, of misery loves company is kind of weird reality because you forget about other people when you're in misery. Not necessarily. Um, he, he feels alone. And here, particularly in verse, in verse seven, he starts seeing the other people around him. And most likely for the, for the pilgrim here, he was already part of the crowd. He was already part of the crowd who was sending up into the, onto the temple mound. And, but he starts recognizing who, uh, he starts recognizing how God is at work. His eyes are distracted away from his own darkness and onto the issues of others and the care for others. And he, and he, he takes this and he says, Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. So he starts reminding others of who this God is. There's, there's this invitation here. Go ahead and hope because you can, because God is faithful. He will pull you through that, fruit through it. For with the Lord, there's steadfast love. And the word there behind there is, is one of my favorite words in, in Hebrew. It's hesed. And it's, it's tied to, uh, this loving kindness. Actually, our Bibles, Bibles have a really hard time translating it. And it's, it's similar to a mom's care for their baby. Like there's this, there's this covenant relationship they have that's innate. Or even, even between a husband and a wife as they faithfully commit to one another. It's covenant. It's based upon a particular covenant of care and love. For with the Lord, there's this steadfast love. It's steadfast. It's focused. It's particular, and it's from God Almighty to you. And also with him is not, is plentiful redemption. It's multiplied redemption. It's complete redemption. It's not just part of it. And he's just not leaving you hanging as, as you're, you're kind of in limbo zone here on earth. No, there's a plan that will actually come about that will actually complete the salvation that he has begun. And he will not finish that. For the Christian, you have that hope. His, his redemption is plentiful. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. Isn't it odd that when we love something, that we're so ready, or we understand, we understand the value of something, that it's not at all hard for us to say, okay, I love this thing about it, I love that thing about it, and this is what's new and that's what's new because it's new to us. We understand the value. I remember when I, uh, I bought this, uh, okay, so I was in the commune and I, I actually owned a radio. We we're not allowed to have a radio. And this radio had a CD player. That was a big thing back then. It was like 2000, year 2000. 
yeah, it was, it was those little round discs that we don't use anymore, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, because everything is now just downloadable. But, but this CD player uh, was awesome. It had three of them. And it had two cassette decks. And I, one time, I remember just getting it. So I invite my cousin home and I bring him into my room and I, I tell him all about this thing because it was new and it was shiny and gray and silver and it had a pretty good uh, noise. I couldn't turn it up because I would have gotten in trouble. But I still wanted the noise because I could brag about it. Um, but I went through, I went through this whole process and, and talked about the benefits of what this particular item had. Because I understood it. I studied it. I did my research. I loved it. And I loved the music that it provided. And I loved kind of showing it off. Especially since it was illegal. That made it kind of just a little bit better. Um, aside from that, it's very similar to this situation here where, where the psalmist now understands very definitively the benefits that Yahweh has to offer. He's focused in on that. And, and the thing of it is, if he wouldn't have gone through the darkness, he wouldn't see those benefits because they're the backdrop to what he went through. And so the Lord in his sovereignty, in his kindness, really set the backdrop so it's all black so that he could actually see the diadem of God's character on display. And he could actually truly talk about those benefits. The steadfast love, the plentiful redemption. And then verse 8. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Iniquities That had so much weight for the Israelite because they had been given promise. Uh, they had been given a promise to obey. And if they didn't obey, God would disown them in the Old Testament. Here, they're reminded that God is going to stay true to their promise. They can be comforted by that. This was a particular comfort in the midst of darkness. Similar to Isaiah 40, when, when Isaiah is crying out to his people, comfort, comfort my people, because your Messiah is coming, your servant is coming. Here, there, it's very similar. It taps into that redemptive theme. And he says, he will redeem Israel from all his redemption iniquities and that is where their hope is to be even though their circumstances changed like crazy they got they got kicked out of their land they lost their identity they lost their temple they lost everything but God is still faithful and they could still cling to him no one could take that away no one could take that away they could face their God they could be forgiven of their sin and they can celebrate, celebrate this God to their neighbor, to their neighbor. So Christian, a question for you to think about. When you ask for forgiveness, when you ask for forgiveness before our holy God, where does your hope lie? Does it lie in the fact that you said the words? or went through the process, or is it truly focused on God himself? Now, and if you, don't, if you don't love Christ and love God the way that we described, dear friend, here is a God who you can put your hope in. You might actually be going through darkness, but you might not actually see, you might not have the hope at the light at the tunnel that you can hope in because you haven't put your hope in Christ. You haven't, you haven't confessed your sin and, and actually recognized who Jesus is as the Son of God who died for us and was buried and resurrected 
on the third day. You might not even know who this Jesus is personally and faithfully. So I invite you to this, to this message, to this good news. Put your hope in Him. Cry out to Him. Long for that. I want to invite you to long for that because this life cannot offer you ultimate satisfaction. And what the Christians understand here today is that they know that their ultimate satisfaction is not in this life. And you'd be at a disadvantage because the reality is, is that you've put your hope in this life. Because for you, if your life ended, after life comes judgment. And that is not so for the Christian. For the Christian, his hope go, extends beyond this life. So if, even if we die today, we gain Christ tomorrow or even right away. We can celebrate that. We can live that. We can cling to that. That is our life. And we get the privilege of inviting others to invite us along with that. Very similar to, to this lady that I met in Jordan. She was, she is, uh, a Muslim background believer. And she was not a practicing Muslim, but her family was. And the Lord came to her in a very peculiar way. Very peculiar way. She saw visions of what she thought Jesus was. And the Lord opened up her eyes to the love and the beauty that she saw there. But what that did is it, it that transaction basically brought her to speak to someone who loved Christ. And she then clings to him because her circumstance is quite dire. She lives in a very dark place. But her hope, her hope and her communion is in Yahweh because she's set her eyes on that. She's, there's fear that is amidst in, in, in there. There's fear that is real. Because for her, she can't, she can't actually go worship with believers there because she's afraid that her, her family is going to turn her into the, to the government. And she doesn't want to put other believers at risk because they might actually get kicked out because of her if they associate because you, it's illegal to, to become a follower of Yahweh once you're Muslim. But she lives under that cloud. But what strengthens her is a hope like this. This invitation, this, this yes, her situation is dire. Yes, uh, she, yes, she has forgiveness in God, which she has never experienced before. And yes, she can still talk about Yahweh because He is her Savior. He is her God. And so she embraces Christ as that, and she loves Him and longs for the day when she will be made as He is. She'll be made as He is. That's what we long for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the witness of this believer in your word. And we thank you for the reality of what he had to go through and the experience that, of what he had to walk through to understand the, understand the loving kindness and the mercy that you have bestowed upon him. So Father, I pray that each one of us would be challenged and reminded that, that in your wisdom you would guide us to cling to your hand because life is tough, but not so tough so that we would let go. So, Father, that your wisdom and your love would be ever-present as we know it is, but, Father, that you would indeed pull us in 
Um, and and uh, we long for the day when we will indeed see you face to face. And we thank you for the reality of that promise. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.